Hey guys, welcome to the Honest Youth Pastor YouTube channel, the channel that helps believers use biblical discernment in what? In all aspects of life, that's correct. Thank you for joining me today in one of my favorite ways to do that, a sermon review. Also, welcome to all of you new people. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Because you're new, you don't know this, but each week we do a sermon review from a variety of different pastors from a variety of different churches, and these aren't, hey, look at the best pastor, hey, that's a terrible pastor. We are just looking at them as examples of how and what we should listen for in sermons, looking specifically for three things. One, do they read the scripture? Two, do they address the context and the culture that that scripture is in? And three, do they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's basically the bare minimum of what we're looking for. If you're interested in doing that in your church uh, or for the sermons you know you listen to in your church or online, there's going to be a free downloadable PDF guide below that's going to, uh, you can you can do that. You can do exactly what I do here. Now, normally I fill that guide out as we're listening to this sermon, and then I show you it at the end. Today, however, we're going to be doing something a little different. Uh, I'll show you kind of what we have on the screen here. So, uh, obviously this down here is going to be the Bible text we're looking at today. And we're going to kind of, I want to walk through it a little bit. So you're going to be seeing that screen every so often alongside what we're actually looking at the sermon for. But I, for the case of what we're looking at, I think it's really important that we do that today. And then I'll kind of cover my general opinions and uh, whatnot at the very end about this sermon. So without further ado, because this is a 40 minute sermon, I want to get into it. Now, before we get into it though, I am going to warn you. As always, uh, the link for this entire sermon, if you want to see it without my commentary, the link is down below. That wasn't the warning. The warning is, is I'm going to turn the speed on to uh, 1.25. So that's going to be something that you're going to need to know about um, because um, he's going to be talking. He's going to probably seem like he's talking a little fast. And I, I just want you guys, you guys to know that, that that's what's happening. So that being said, let's go ahead over to the reaction screen, 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 screen. Here's Carlos Whitaker. Here he is. Hey, Carlos uh, at Real Life Church. So again, 40 minute sermon. You can check out the full thing without my commentary below. He is going to be at 1.25 speed so we can get through this a little faster. And this review isn't so long. We will be going to the scripture a couple of times as well. Now, we already know because I've already told you where we're at. You can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 8, uh, starting at verse 26 if you'd like. He is going to tell us that in a minute. So uh, you're kind of in the loop. Let's go ahead and get started, though. All right. Let's do this. What's going on, real life? So glad to be here. I want to say hey to Mount Dora Campus, Orlando Campus, Online Campus, Community Hubs. It's like I'm a pastor here or something, bro. I know what's up. Oh, man, I'm just so excited to be hanging out uh, today at the beginning of a new year. Um, I was uh, having dinner with uh, Pastor Justin last night, and I, I say it every time, and I don't say it just because he's here. You have a servant leader leading this church that loves the Lord with every facet and fiber of his being. And so I just want to say thank you uh, for being a friend to me. And uh, just leading this church, it's, it's, it is family. It's, I feel like you people are family. I've been here enough now where I can't say the same joke twice now because you've heard them all. Um, and so I got to come up with new things. And uh, at the beginning of the year, especially coming after last week's message, you know, we were talking about this earlier today. I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach a message on, uh, on an idea that, that I've written about. I've got a book coming out in a couple weeks, uh, but I'm like, you guys are getting like the precursor message. You're like the beta test uh, of this message that I feel like is, is, is for such a time as, as this. 
Real quick, uh, apparently the reason somebody sent me this is because I guess Carlos is currently or was currently on tour. Sorry, uh, on tour promoting his book, uh, in which he basically gives I guess the this same the same type of message at like different conferences and different churches. So this is I guess from a while ago. I think last this January or last January. And, uh, so basically the book's already come out. He's, he's giving this basically the same talk now. So this is something that I guess he's going on tour has gone on tour and has just basically repeated the same message over and over again called how to be human, which apparently is the title of his book. Uh, no, I have not read the book. Don't ask that question. I haven't. We're, I, I don't know what it's about. So that's being said, let's get back into it. I, um, it's going to be a message that I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now. All your little toes, go ahead and untuck them because I'm going to step on all of them, okay? So all the little piggies are going to step, get stepped on, and myself included. Uh, this is one of those messages where, I, you know, I, I told your pastors, I was like, you may get a couple emails this week, just don't forward them to me. Uh, Y'all take care of that. I'm going to get on an airplane and fly back to Nashville today. But, but I feel as though it's time for the church to do some uncomfortable and hard things. This is a year where, uh, you know what, we've had two years of division. We've had two years of pointing fingers. We've had years, a few years of, of really learning how it is to look at someone and say, no, nah, they're not right. But I feel like the church, it is, it is the, the greatest hour for the church to look at people, human beings, all around this world in your community. Wherever you're watching online, wherever it is, it is time for the church to not point a finger and say you're the enemy, but to point a finger and say you are loved by God. You are, you are loved. You are a son. You are a daughter. And so the, so the message today is, is titled, How to Human. Everyone in the room and online say, How to Human. How to Human. How to Human. What, what, what does that mean? Well, I'm going to be using human as a verb, okay? Um, so how are we doing this human thing well? You know, we have the example of the greatest human to walk the face of the earth, which is Jesus. Now, Jesus is fully God. I believe as a follower of Christ, Jesus is fully God, but also he was fully human. And there's been a lot of things and a lot of sermons and books written on the divinity of Jesus. I'm not smart enough to write that thing, but I know the humanity of Jesus. And so even, even if, even if you're... This is a complete side note to this whole, whole sermon review, but I just got done with a documentary on Stephen Furtick, which is maybe why some of you are even here uh, watching this. But I can tell you right now, I can give uh, mega churches all the crap about production quality. But whenever you hear <laughs> this audio from this sermon, you're like, man, I wish I had a clear audio feed. Because it's like you can tell it's just right, right from the handheld mic. It's very like, very fuzzy. Here's somebody far from God, even if you don't believe that Jesus was the son of God. If you just look at Jesus as a historical figure, he is still the greatest human to ever walk the face of the earth. So I'm sorry, I interrupted that just so we all know what he said. So you can go back if you'd like to double check me. But he basically says that even if you're in the audience or in the congregation right now and you don't believe Jesus is God, you can at least admit he's the greatest human that ever human, right? That he was the best human ever, um, which I don't know. See, this is going to show my stupidity and preparation on this point. Was it C.S. Lewis? Somebody said that either Jesus is telling the truth about him being God or he's a huge liar, which would make him not the best human. So there is sort of this idea that if, if you're going to believe Jesus is the best human that's ever humaned, you sort of have to believe that he's God because that's what he said. So oh, if that's the case, we can learn about him. And, you know, when I look at his disciples, I see really flawed, jacked up humans that were trying their best to walk like Jesus did. 
that were trying their best to do this human thing well. And we, we all have a hard time. Hey, did anyone in this room ever messed up being a human? Go ahead, raise your hand. Okay. A couple of y'all really didn't raise your hands. Listen, now I know it's all of us, right? Like we try our hardest. We try to do the thing, right? We try to be like the best version of Christian and we stumble and we fall all the time. I, I, I walked into a, an airport. It was Charlotte Airport last year. And I went walking in and I had a stumbling human experience where I walked in and um, when I turned the corner, I saw. Okay, so this is about the, the sermon. So when we're looking, this I guess is to pastors, okay? One of the things that I think oftentimes we're taught to do that isn't necessarily beneficial is to be like overly relatable to the people you're talking to. Now, as a guest speaker, I can understand that. Maybe you don't know the guest speaker and as the speaker, you kind of want to connect to the congregation a bit so that you have some validity in what you say, though I still think that's sort of nonsense, but whatever. Let's say that's the case. Then maybe you're going to tell a little bit of a story. Maybe, you know, kind of before we get into the scripture, tell a little bit about yourself just so they know who you are. Now, Carlos has already stated they know exactly who he is. I would just guess that this is kind of how Carlos speaks. Full disclosure, I've never heard Carlos speak before, so I have no idea. But my guess is his mannerisms, how comfortable he is, the fact that he's on a speaking tour, this is probably exactly how he speaks all the time. Very sort of upfront, open conversationally. And so he's not a lecturer, probably. This is probably his standard sort of talk. And so he's trying to, you know, make a connection with you. Hey, you ever done something XYZ? I've done XYZ before. See, we're the same kind of person. And trying to make that connection. You're taught to do that in speaking. You're taught to do that in, you know, in homiletics and preaching. Sometimes I think that's necessary. But as always, if this is your first time here. This is maybe the first time you've heard me say it. If it's not your first time here, this is like me just completely beating the same point over and over again. But do stories add or take away from the text you're actually trying to get people into, right? That's the question we need to ask, especially as pastors when we're preparing sermons and as listeners when we're listening, we need to think, does this story, does it make the text clearer? Does it make it easier to get into the text? Does it take away or add to the text? What's the point? of this text. And if it's just simply me trying to relate to you, especially if we already have a connection, that seems like a bit of a waste of time. Again, we have 40 minutes here. How can we pack the most impactful message in 40 minutes and not waste a second of that? Um, that's the question, especially as somebody that's writing the sermon that's going to give it, we need to really think about because we don't want to waste these people's time. And honestly, most people don't want their time wasted. Side note, I know this is going to take a minute, but as pastors, what's really interesting to do, and I do this every time I go visit a church, I do this in my home church all the time, uh, especially when there's a guest speaker, is that I watch the people. So I sit in the back purposefully and I watch the people's reaction and timing based on what the speaker is saying, right? There was a speaker recently. Good speaker, very energetic, right? Loved Jesus, wanted people to get saved, all the good stuff. He was he's a Christian. I don't have any doubt in that. Or he wouldn't be on the, he wouldn't be in the pulpit. However, he was taking a very long time to get through his story. And I counted no less than five people closed their Bibles in the amount of time that it took him to finish the story, even though he'd already given us the scripture. And in their heads, at least, at least those five people, they sort of given up on him getting to the end. And either they're going to not turn there again because they don't find that it's necessary. Like he's obviously just sort of going to do whatever he wants or they'll turn back. But now, you know, their, their body language is signifying that they've sort of checked out for a second. And as pastors, we need to be aware of that. How much time are we wasting? 
is what we're saying adding to or taking away. That's my point. Let's get back to it. Saw a woman who looked, she was panicked, and she looked like there was something wrong, and she's kind of like yelling, but she was, you know, maybe 50 yards away, and she's yelling something, her arms are in the air, and I can tell she was panicked, and she was kind of standing next to like a, like a desk where an airline worker would stand behind. And then as I got closer, I, I saw an airline worker stand up from behind that desk uh, looking panicked as well. And so immediately I, I start doing what I'm supposed to do with a human follower of Christ. So I just start praying. Like, I, I'm like, Lord, I don't know what's happening, but please bring her peace, bring her calm. And then the airline worker dropped back down behind the desk, and I saw her begin to, and I was like, she's doing, ch like, chest compressions. Like, somebody is, their life is on the line behind that desk. I'm, and so I start praying the blood of the cross, the power of the resurrection, in the name of Jesus, nobody's going to die on my watch. Jesus, heal that person. Heal that person. I'm going to town. I walk around the corner. I'm praying the blood of the lamb over this thing. And this is what I saw. She was trying to shut a suitcase. <laughs> that is the most blessed suitcase on planet Earth. That suitcase will never break a zipper in the name of Jesus. I was like, what? I felt like such an idiot, right? Like how many times do we have these moments as humans where, where everything, we're trying to be the best Christian ever, and we're like, whoops, I just prayed for a suitcase. But, but I, I tell you that story just, just so you understand that this human, like I'm not calling us to be the perfect human. There was only one of those. There's only one but I'm calling us to follow the perfect human. And following him is gonna be risky. It is. Uh, but we're gonna, we're gonna go out of a scripture. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Acts chapter eight. Okay, so his premise is we need to learn how to be human. And to do that, we need to follow the best human. And the best human is Jesus. And sometimes it's gonna be difficult and diff hard. And so he's going to bring us to Acts chapter eight to then work out his point, which is we need to be human and follow the best. And the greatest example of that is Jesus, and he teaches us how to be human. And we're going to do that from Acts chapter 8. Now, he's not going to do this, so I just want to do it really, really fast. What we want to do, and just so we don't, I don't mess this up, I'm going to bring up my Bible on my phone and not on the iPad. Acts chapter 8, before we get to verse 26, a lot has happened. And this is important because You'll, you'll see why in a minute. So Saul is ravaging the church. That's the beginning of Acts chapter 8. We have Philip proclaiming Christ in Samaria. And there's this really cool sort of uh, second sort of Pentecost slash revival happening starting in verse 4. Uh, we have Simon the Magician and sort of what he used to do in Samaria and sort of this gospel versus magic sort of discussion that uh, sort of happens a bit. We also have Simon try to buy the gift that the apostles have as far as laying on hands and the spirit coming. So that sort of sets up something very interesting as well. So the people believe are baptized. They don't receive the spirit, but then the apostles lay hands on them and then they receive the spirit. That's, that's the thing that Simon the Magician wants to buy. He obviously gets... Um, obviously he gets told no about that, that he has no part in it and he can't buy it. And then we, at verse 25, leading into the part where Philip and the eunuch is, and it says, now they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord. They returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel uh, to the many villages, uh, of the Samaritans, right? So we sort of have that wrapping up of what's happened in Samaria and them going back. Now, this is where we get to verse 26. This is what he's going to read. So you kind of have a context of what's happened before. Philip has been preaching the gospel to the Sumerians. A revival-esque sort of thing breaks out among them. The other apostles come down. Holy Spirit comes on them. Um, and that's that's fairly interesting, right? Because the Sumerians, you have sort of this, this Samaritan woman, right? You remember that in the gospel. So you sort of have this sort of half-breed, half-Jew. So there's a bunch of history there, but the point is they're not like 
full Jews, right? We've also seen this at the beginning of Acts, where you have the Hellenist Jews, where um, in some regards, when you read through Acts, they're not necessarily like it's they're sort of talked about as not fully Jewish, right? Because they've adopted a lot of the Greek customs. So you have all of these different types of Jews. You have God-fearers, you have Hellenistic Jews, you have Samaritans. The point being that the gospel is going forth and these people are coming to Jesus. They're, they're believing that prophecy has been fulfilled and Jesus is this Messiah that has been talked about by all the prophets. And so regardless if they're Hellenistic Jews or if they're Samaritans or it doesn't matter. They're hearing the gospel and they're coming to know the Lord. And it's this amazing theme that we have running through Acts. And so we get to uh, eventually, just so you kind of have a placement, know where we're at. Uh, Acts 10 is where uh, Peter gets the vision of uh, don't call anything the Lord has called clean, unclean. And he goes and Cornelius, the, the first Gentile, uh, gets gets saved and uh, baptized and the Holy Spirit falls on him. And he has to go back to Jerusalem and explain to the council like, hey, wow, this this happened. What in the world? Right. And they're all surprised. So that's sort of the context of where we're at going into um, Acts chapter eight, verse 26. Uh, we're going to be looking at a story that I think is going to help us figure out how to human. How, how do we do this, Lord? You've called us. We're in these human bodies, but how do we do this well? So let's just hop right in. Acts chapter 8, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Now, Philip was a follower of Jesus. Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he got up and he went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah out loud. The spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? Well, how can I? He said, the Ethiopian, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before its shear, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch replied to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about? Himself or another person? So he's asking Philip, like, what, what is this that I'm reading? So Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning from that scripture. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Then he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. This is going to be the basis, this story, on how to human. The very first thing, and I talk about this, and I'll talk about this every single time I come, and I've talked about this every single time I've been here. In order to truly be the fullest most alive human we can be, we have to do what Philip did at the beginning of the story. What does it say happened? We go very to the very beginning. It said, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. The first step is to be human. Everyone in the room say, be human. We, we got to be human. Guess what? As a human, we are created to hear the voice of God. So if we want to be able to be fully human, we've got to get to that understanding again to be able to hear the voice of God. Philip heard from an angel. He hears the voice of God. And this, this is, I love this. The angel said, get up 
Okay, because he's gonna make some more points here. So just just to be clear, okay, let's let's go over to the screen here. So there's no place here where there's this indication that to be human means you are designed to hear the voice of God. Like this is just this is a blatant reading in to the text. It's blatantly I said Jesus. Like just clear as day. There's there's nothing here that indicates that, right? It just says, now the angel, whoops, now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south. So I said, it says, now the angel of the Lord said, he's just stating a point. There's not any built in assumption here that all people are designed to hear the voice of God. There's not even a verse that is anywhere near here or even that I know of that is like, oh, you know, everyone. Everyone is designed to hear the verse of the voice of the Lord, right? I mean, there's people that ignore God constantly throughout the scriptures. I and mean, we wouldn't have to talk about now just throughout the scriptures. So there's nothing here in this verse that is innately saying what he's saying. Now, that this is already a red flag. This is not the all of it. Let's just keep going. But I, I didn't want that point to be lost. So we've already made an assumption about the text that's not there and go south to the road, okay? So not only did the angel talk to Philip, but he gave him a specific direction as to where to go. If you want a direction, if you want to know where you're supposed to go in 2023, it's not going to be a podcast host that's going to tell you. If you want to know exactly where you're supposed to go in obedience in 2023, it's not even going to be a sermon that's going to tell you. It is going to be the voice of God. And every single person in here was created with the capacity to hear God, every single one of us. But what I love about this is so many people are like, well, Carlos, I, I can't hear the voice of God. I love this. The angel of the Lord spoke to Philip and said, get up. Well, what does that mean? It means he was probably just watching TV, right? He had to get up. He was resting. He was relaxing. We don't know how to do that anymore. Okay, he's going to go on a whole tangent here about resting, okay? And we'll, I'll just let him do it here in a moment. But again, this idea of, let's go back over here, this idea of rise and go, right? is that he's equating to some sort of rest. That doesn't make any sense. I know my handwriting is terrible. Just ignore that. We already know what's happened before this. A huge revival's happened in Samaria. Many have come to know Jesus as the Lord. Um, we've, I mean, we've seen this. And then it says, now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, still preaching the gospel to many of the villages of Samarians. Okay. So it's not that Philip is hanging out, watching TV, just chilling, just, you know, hey, hey, we've, you know, he's, he's been grinding. He's been grinding. You got to, he's got to take a break. That's not at all any indication of what's actually occurring, but he's going to go on here for a minute on a tangent that I'm going to just let you listen to about resting and knowing how to rest. And none of it's wrong, right? We should know how to rest. We should take a break from social media. We should do all of the things that he's going to say, but they have nothing to do with the words that he's pulling from the text and forcing them to mean when they don't mean that. Just as a note. Like you want to hear the voice of God, maybe chill out. You want to know what to do in 2023, how to be fully human, maybe relax some. Maybe stop. Maybe slow down. Slowing down is vital for us to hear the voice of God. Philip was slowing down when he heard the angel. But it's so hard for us to slow down because I know that 
even the pace of my voice right now is driving you crazy. <laughs> Hurry up, Carlos! Get to the point! I know, I know. But guess what? Sometimes, sometimes I believe the Lord speaks at that pace. We've got to learn to slow down. Because once we slow down, we're going to be able to do what Philip did. We're going to be able to hear from the Lord, get up, go down to the road towards Gaza, right? But you've got to slow down. I, I, don't, I, I just don't believe that our souls and our psyche were created with a capacity to consume what we consume every day. We just weren't created for that. And, and, and I mean, again, I don't want to blame something, but it's so hard, right? I, I did the math. It's crazy math. The average American is on their phone five hours a day. Okay? Yes. Five hours a day. We can do the math. If you, if you add that math up, <laughs> that's almost two entire days a week that you're staring at a screen. That's a, a day and a half. If you keep fast-forwarding the math, that's going to be almost two months a year. <laughs> two months of the entire sun cycling around the earth that we're staring and consuming all of this content. You keep going from my life, my life point right now, if I live to be 80-something years old, I will spend literally almost eight years of my life looking. And we wonder why we can't hear the voice of God. We've got to learn to slow down. We weren't created for this. If we want to be able to have these stories like Philip had with this Ethiopian where he leads him to the Lord, we're going to have to hear from the voice of God. But in order to do that, we're going to have to slow down. We're going to have to get up. I mean, please, Lord, in 2023, help every single person listening to this message right now be able to lay down so that he can ask us to get up. But you're going to have to stop. You're going to have to slow down. We're going to have to actually be fully human. Be. Just be. Be. Be still. Allow the voice of God to continue to blow up and to speak in your life. And once Philip was resting, he got up and he went. And he goes. And he goes to the road. And when he's standing at the road. Okay, so he's going on. Again, none of that's bad, Right. You should definitely not be on your phone a whole bunch every day because you will miss opportunities to share the gospel. You will be mentally exhausted from arguing with a bunch of randos online that have nothing to do with anything in your life, right? Mute and block are your best friend. You should use those all the time. I have. Really helpful. But that's not what the passage is saying, right? That's not what is being said here. And when we force things into here that that don't go there, we miss the point. The point that there has been a great sort of revival of coming to the Lord that we've seen in the beginning of Acts chapter 8 amongst the Sumerians. Philip's coming fresh off of that, seeing that uh, the Lord is moving in his people. And then the angel comes to him, which isn't an odd occurrence, by the way, in Acts. That happens a lot. The angel will come and tell them something or give a vision or what. I mean, there, there's lots of really, you know, amazingly spiritual things that happen in Acts that you kind of have to deal with and work through and talk about on deeper theological topics. But the point is, the angel comes to him and says, hey, rise and go, get up, go, whatever you want to call it. The point is, he, he says, hey, you need to be over here. He tells him where to go, right? Where does he tell him to go? He says, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then Luke in Acts makes a, a point to say that this place is a desert, which is you know, an interesting thing later when we talk about the Ethiopian being baptized, if there's any water there at all. But the point is, he tells him to get up, go toward, uh, go to the south, to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza, right? This is what he does. Then 
he did. He rise and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch of the official court of Candace. So we have the queen. Uh, at this point, uh, dating-wise, she's probably not the queen of Ethiopia. Uh, but she is next in line to be the queen. So it's it's kind of... It, it, it's just like a dating thing is all there is there. The point is he's an Ethiopian. He's a eunuch. He's part of Candace's court, right? We don't have any sort of indication of Candace is with him. It doesn't seem like she is. Um, and we'll talk about that here in a minute. The point is he's, he's high up in Candace's court, which is from Ethiopia. And he is a eunuch of her court. He's a eunuch because he's part of her court. And that's what they did uh, to high up officials in the court. They eunuchized them uh, for a variety of different reasons. Sometimes it was just a title, by the way. Sometimes they didn't actually uh, castrate them, though that would happen uh, because uh, there was this idea that if they were, they'd be able to focus more on their task and be more kind of not distracted by other things. So uh, it's likely that it's a title and a thing that's happened to this guy. Um, this is sort of where, and thankfully, Carlos doesn't go like totally off kilter on this point necessarily but this is where a lot of more progressive christians just take this whole unique thing and run with it which um we, we might touch on that here in a minute but the point is that he's a high up official in candace's court has been in jerusalem worshiping and we'll talk about that a bit because carlos is about to get into it here we go it's going to get a little more, bit more difficult now when he is at the road standing there now remember he, philip doesn't know why he's going to the road the angels just told him to go to the road He's like, all right, I'm at a road. And it says he sees this Ethiopian man in a chariot coming by. Now, this Ethiopian man, okay, I am no biblical scholar or I am no sociologist. But the fact that Philip is where Philip is from and this Ethiopian man is from Ethiopia, that tells me that this is a black guy. Okay. So we got this Ethiopian man that was more than likely of a different race than Philip. And let me tell you what a eunuch is. We're all grown-ups in this room. A eunuch was actually a castrated male. The reason why they were castrated is so they would have no other desires than to serve the queen. So not only was this Ethiopian a racial deviant from Philip, but he was actually a sexual deviant from Philip. Two things that probably Philip didn't hang out with guys like this Ethiopian. Now, see, this is a little odd, and we're going to get into. You'll see why Carlos takes this. Carlos takes this turn as far as uh, sexual deviant and racial deviant, which is a weird terminology to use for both of those. But um, this shouldn't be a surprise that the Ethiopian is black, and it's not necessarily that it would be odd to Philip that he's black he's from ethiopia there's lots of god fearers that come into jerusalem to celebrate the feast because they follow yahweh um, you have the 12 tribes that have spread out all over the world because of the dispersia um, of, and you have them coming back and so you you have them come back to worship a lot and many of these, I mean, obviously they're Jewish, but we even have Hellenized Jews. So they've adopted a lot of the Greek culture. They've intermarried with a different people from where they were sort of deported or had to, you know, escape to. And so it's not, I know Carlos is making it to be this, this weird thing that Philip would be like, oh, this Ethiopian eunuch's different than me. Culturally and historically, though, like we need to understand, if you don't know this historically, 
like there were a lot of God fearers, right? That that followed the that followed Yahweh that were Greek, that were Ethiopian, that were all sorts of different sorts of races. Um, and that wasn't necessarily super odd, right? There were obviously proselytes that um, different levels of, of sort of how dedicated you were to Yahweh. And if you were a Jew, if you had been circumcised or not, like there's, there's different levels as far as fully Jewish, uh, God fear, proselytite. I mean, there were different levels here. You hear about a variety of different in, in the gospels and in Acts. The point being that historically, this wouldn't have been a huge thing. And we're going to see that in correlation to the timeline of Acts here. Acts 8 happens before Acts 10, which is where obviously Cornelius is saved. And it's the first sort of Gentile conversion and Gentile received the Holy Spirit. And, and the, the, this is Acts 10 is where the, the council in Jerusalem gets like kind of wigged out that like, oh, the Gentiles are getting saved now. They weren't surprised that the Samaritans were getting saved. They were all there in the beginning of chapter eight about the Samaritans. Apparently they weren't super wigged out about the unique Ethiopian unit getting saved because we don't have a whole lot of, you know, hubbub made about it. Why? Because he's in Jerusalem worshiping. Like he's come there to do that. So he obviously already follows Yahweh. So he would have at least been probably considered a God fear. We don't have his title sort of like worked out there, but he's reading the Torah uh, he's, or he's reading the Jewish text and he's studying it. So, and he's been to Jerusalem to worship. So it logic follows the way that Philip approaches the chariot, how he explains everything to the prophet Isaiah, that this man is a God fear. He's not some random Gentile out here that doesn't just doesn't know anything about Yahweh. Um, there's a lot more historical context that goes into this as far as Ethiopia and the old Testament that we don't have time to get into, but it's very likely that this this guy is as close to a Jew as he can possibly get. I mean, he's a eunuch, so there's some things we'll talk about here in a minute that sort of complicate that, but also make the story really beautiful. Um, but Carlos is going to go into this race thing pretty hard, but you'll see why, because it sort of ties into his sermon. And the angel told him, the spirit said to Philip, go and join that chariot. Well, I mean, Spirit of God, like, I don't really have anything, like, there's nothing similar in our lives. See, he's putting words into Philip's mouth, by the way. Like, that guy's way different than me. That guy looks differently than me. Sexually, he's a little bit differently than me. There's a lot of things about this Ethiopian that have nothing to do with my life. And you're asking me to go up to his chariot. What if somebody sees me? What if somebody from my church sees me going up to this chariot? It don't matter. If the Lord told you, to go up to someone that doesn't look like you, think like you, vote like you, talk like you, then you go up to that chariot. And I know that's hard. I just want to make a clear point. This is clearly eisegetical. We're reading, Carlos is reading every type of buzz modern language on top of this text that he possibly can. And that's not what the text is dealing with. I get it because there's a lot of chariots. I got the chariots that I know I don't want to get near. But the Lord is calling us as followers of Christ to not only stand on one side of the road. I, I mean, the scripture could have ended there. It could have been like, yeah, Philip stood on the side of the road and he saw that guy that didn't look anything like him or live like him. And he was like, hey, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. But that's not what the spirit told him to do. He said, you got to get uncomfortable and you got to leave the comfort of the other side of the road. And you got to walk up to the chariot. Now, listen, listen. 
listen, listen, this is what the scripture actually said. So down here in verse uh, 29, it says, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join the chariot. That's all it says. <laughs> it's all it says. And, and so, it says, and so Philip ran up to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked something. And we'll get to that in a minute. But there's nothing about Philip having any inclination that this guy's different than him, that there's sort of any sort of sexual or racial thing happening, that he's got any sort of proclivity not to do this. Philip has just went and witnessed a basic revival amongst the Samaritans. The people that he that before he would have totally avoided their village. He would have, he went the long way around so that he didn't have to go through Samaria. I mean, we note that in the gospel. That's a huge thing in the gospel, right? And they've just seen all these people come to Jesus. This idea that Philip would even have the proclivity that like, well, Jesus is probably what I want me to do. Come on. The spirit said to Philip, go over to the chariot. And he does so. Why? Because Philip's seen a whole lot of stuff up to this point. It's been Pentecost. He's seen, you know, the Samaritans come to Christ. He's, he's seen Peter give the first sermon again, talking about Joel and uh, showing, demonstrating from, from the uh, prophecy of prophet Joel about, you know, how, who Jesus is and what all of this was about. He's heard about Stephen standing behind, uh, before the Sanhedrin and Stephen doing this whole thing. Um, uh, basically giving the history of Israel to the Sanhedrin and then preaching the gospel to them via the Old Testament scriptures. Like, come on. It's just, it's just crazy that he's reading this onto the top of this when that's not there at all. Now, I know he's trying to relate it to us, but it degrades it and it changes what it's about when you do that. I'm going to get real vulnerable. You thought I was already vulnerable? We're going to get even more. 2020. It was a hard year for you, man. I began to speak on things of justice. I began to speak on some things that I felt like were close to the heart of God. And, and, and I began to be wounded, to be honest with you, by a lot of Christians that were calling me things for speaking out against racism and against some things. And, and I get it. It was uncomfortable conversations for a lot of us. But I was wounded. And honestly, like your pastor was one of my safest, closest friends in that time that said, you continue to stay in your lane and be obedient to what the Spirit is calling you to do. And it was hard for me. And I was speaking about things of racial bias and all sorts of things. And I was teaching and people were getting mad at me, but then some people were learning and it was hard. It was a hard year. And just, just as a black man in America in general in 2020, it was a lot of wounds were being ripped open. And so as I'm teaching these things, as I'm teaching these things, I, I had a situation happen in my life. You know, I, I moved into my neighborhood in Nashville that we currently live in about seven years ago. And when we moved in, I went and said, hey, to all my neighbors, all of them. And um, every neighbor was so awesome. They were so kind. I was like, hey, my name's Carlos. They're like, hey, they brought me over pumpkin bread. It was like perfect little Americana neighborhood. It was sweet. But there was this one man across the street. He was a grumpy old man. Every time I tried to say hi to him, I was like, he kind of, and I was like, oh, my gosh. And can I tell you something? In 2020, as a black man that lives in Nashville, Tennessee, my racial bias, my own racial bias began to creep out. And again, I told you, I trust you, so I'm going to be vulnerable with you. As a black man in Nashville, Tennessee, 13 times in the previous, I, got, I know exactly, in the previous seven years, I had been called the N-word in public. Every single time was by an old white man with an American flag either on his car or his torso. So can I tell you what happened? As the son of a first-generation immigrant to America, I love this country with everything. I love my flag. I love all the things. 
But my reality created a true story in my life that was wounding to me. So can I tell you what I did? Because that old man had a big white flag on his door, and because he was an old white man in the South, my bias told me he doesn't like me because of what I look like. And I made a decision, I'm done with him. So I stopped. I tried for six months, I stopped. I said, that racist old man, he's not going to have a minute of my time. And so I'm just like, now can I tell you, I'm being vulnerable with you. That was my reality speaking maybe something that was true or wasn't true about someone I didn't know. And my bias is there. And then one day, one day, I'll never forget, I see this old man walk outside. This is a couple years after I lived there. And he's got one of those like porcelain bunnies in his front yard. You know those porcelain, porcelain statues? Are I, do, I want to interrupt really quick and then I'll let him keep going. The one thing I want to notice here, and this, this happens a lot. So you've heard the idea of a TED Talk Christianity, TED Talk sermons, that sort of thing, right? This is a really good example of that. Like if you're looking for an example of what is a TED Talk sermon, this is a great example of what a TED Talk sermon is. Because what you basically have is like good principles. Like so what we talked about before, right? Hey, don't be in front of social media a whole bunch. Hey, it's probably distracting you from the thing you're supposed to be doing. Hey, this is how much time an average American spends on. Da, 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 da. Here's the math. Then you also have some good like moral stuff. Like, hey, I presume things about people that may not be true because they presume things about me that may not be true. And there's like racial bias and all this other stuff. He's going to go on to finish this story. The point is that if you take out the scriptural stuff within this talk, not just this talk, but a lot of them we've looked at, but this is a great example. You take that out, then it's, it is just a TED talk and you don't really lose anything, right? Because what it is, it's, it's the foundation is based on this sort of TED talk morality, this good stuff. It doesn't have to have Jesus interjected into it. This is why a lot of TED Talk Christianity kind of people that speak this way have a lot of people that aren't believers that follow them and like them. Why? Because Jesus is sort of a side. It's not, he's not like a necessity to what they're saying. You can sprinkle him on top of it and the Christians can like it, but the people that don't believe in Jesus just go, oh, I can do that without Jesus. And that's why it's a TED Talk sort of idea. If you eliminate the text here, then it's good moral teaching without it. If you put the text in, great, Christians feel like it's sort of connected to the Bible, even though I would argue that we're having to force everything into this text that's not actually there. And that's also a secondary problem of TED Talk Christianity. In order to make it appeal to believers, right, you have to force it into a text somewhere, and that's what's happening here. And we're going to keep going through this here. Hopefully, I've demonstrated that up to this point. Um, but I'm going to let him finish his story. It's pretty long. That's why I interrupted here, but this is a great example of what TED Talk Christianity looks like. Morality, lessons, sprinkled in with a little bit of Jesus. Grandma has in her backyard, y'all know what I'm talking about. So he's got these two bunnies in his front yard, and he walks out, and he kneels in front of one of these bunnies, and he's got a paint can. I'm like, what is this weird old man doing? And he takes his paintbrush, and he dips it in one of the cans of paint, and he pulls it out, and he starts to paint one of these white porcelain bunnies completely black and he's painting it black and I'm like well, it must be like World War II paint your bunny black day like what's happening I don't know what's happening out here so he finishes painting one of them black and then he walks back in his house I was like that's weird why did he do that so I walk up to my wife I was like why do you think that old man painted that bunny black he goes she goes well, why don't you go ask him I mean what what a novel concept you mean you want me to walk across the street up to that man's chariot I don't know if I can do that, babe. Next time I see him the next morning, he walks out. I was like, I'm going to do something I've never done. I can't believe I actually never actually walked all the way across the street. I tried to talk to him from 10 feet away. I walk across the street, and, and as I'm walking across the street, I ain't going to lie, I started recording on my phone. It was 2020. I didn't know what was going to happen, so, like, I'm, I'm recording. And as I get closer, 
I'm like, excuse me, sir. Um, hi, I'm Carlos. I live across the street. He's like, he goes, hi, Carlos. My name's James. And I was like, no, no, please be mean to me right now. I need you to be mean to me right now. He goes, I've only lived here since 1960s, whatever. And I was like, uh, so like you were painting this bunny black. Can you tell me why you painted that one black? But you, like, what's, he's like, oh, with everything that's going on in America, this was my way of saying that your life matters to me. I can't fathom. I, I, I can't go downtown Nashville and do, and march or anything because I'm scared I'm going to get COVID. But, but this, I can do this because I, I had, I had a black woman. She was a servant. My mama and daddy hired her when I was little. She taught me to read, taught me to brush my teeth, and I can't imagine anyone looking at her any indifferent when they look at me and my jaw is hanging on the floor. And, and you know, you know what I had to do? What I had to do? What I had to do as a black man in America in 2020, I had to look this white man in the eyes and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for if I ever thought anything about you because I was too scared to walk across the street. I want to show you guys this video and let you feel the palpable presence of how to see humans. Watch this. I've seen these, and I wanted to come over and say, well, why'd you pick that one black? I think with the motivation of what's going on in yeah. the country, yeah. I wanted to gently. Yeah, that was beautiful. I literally saw that while I was mowing my grass, and I started to cry. And there's this thing called racial bias that I'm trying to help my friends understand that they have. Whereas, you know, someone like me that travels full-time for a living will normally have a bias that says, oh, look, it's an older white gentleman with an American flag upon his door that my bias automatically says, oh, he may not like me. And I just wanted to tell you that, that I'm so grateful and that I apologize if I ever assumed anything because that's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Well, <laughs> uh, when I was growing up, for some reason, my mother hired a uh, black lady to keep the house up. Yeah. Laundry, food, cooking. Yeah. yeah. Raise me, all that stuff. Yeah. And she was a black lady. Yeah. a servant. Yeah. Yeah. She taught me how to do everything. Yeah. And I never felt any indifference uh, wow. for her. Yeah. And for black. Sure. So, you know, I don't, I, I could do more. I was, I could paint them both black. But I just said, I'd rather have one. I love that. It was, it was, it was so good. Poor James was just trying to live his best retired life. And, and <laughs> he, now I'm like over at that man's house every single day. He's like my best friend on the block. And, and, and here's the thing. I had to walk up to his chariot. I, I, I had to walk up to his chariot. I had to go across the street. Okay, so here's the thing. And this is going to be the theme for the rest of it, right? Again, nothing that Carlos says in between this scripture references that we're looking at is necessarily bad. Like going up to people you don't. I think you agree with and forming conversations with them, like being nice to people, even though if you assume that they have some, they feel some sort of way about you, like all of these things are and are, they are accepted by non-believers everywhere, right? I mean, this isn't a Jesus-centric thing. And so what he's doing is he's using the story of Philip and the Ethiopian and he's saying, hey, Philip was told by the spirit to go to this place, 
Philip goes to this place. The spirit tells Philip, hey, go up to this chariot. Philip does go up to this chariot. And then he overhears the Ethiopian eunuch reading Isaiah. And he asks the guy, hey, do you know what you're reading? Again, Philip knows exactly what he's reading because he's he's just gone, been for, to Samaria. He's, he's seen, uh, again, Peter, like I said before, preach from Joel about Jesus being uh, the, the answer to prophecy. So, I mean, Philip knows this is about Jesus and about the gospel. He also knows that the Spirit has led him here, probably for the exact reason of explaining the gospel to this Ethiopian eunuch. And so to equate that with, hey, guys, we need to go up to the chariots of people that we disagree with is really cheapening what's happening here. Should you be nice to people you disagree with? 100%. Should you engage in conversations with people that are totally different than you? 100%. That's not what's happening here, though. In Acts, the gospel is going forth in powerful ways. God is opening doors left and right for people to tell others about who Jesus is and the change he can bring in their life and the fulfillment specifically, especially within these first few uh, chapters of Acts, how Jesus fulfills the prophecies that were foretold before in Isaiah and Joel all, and Isaiah. And so what we have here is this once more happening to somebody, and we're going to see this here in a minute, somebody that used to not be able to go into the assembly of the Lord because he is a eunuch. We're going to unpack that. There's actually a really powerful message here within this passage about just what the kingdom of God brings with it. Why the gospel is so beautiful, so powerful, so life-altering that Philip just came from Samaria, the place that Jews used to make their way around so they didn't have to go through. The gospel transformed the area. So this isn't just simply about going up to chariots and having conversations with people you don't like, because that's not what's happening here in Acts 8. It's the Spirit leading Philip here for the purpose of sharing the gospel with somebody that knows Yahweh, but doesn't understand what he's reading in Isaiah. Keep going. And it was uncomfortable for me. And there's a lot of, all of us in here have bias in some way, shape, or form. We all do. And it's going to be uncomfortable for us to know what the chariot is and to walk up to the chariot. Every single person watching at all the campuses, we all have a chariot that we got to walk up to that we're not going to be comfortable. Some of the chariots are your own family members. Your own family members. Maybe some of y'all even living under your own roof. But you've got to not only be human, you have to see humans. That's step two. Step one is be human. Step two is see humans. Everyone is desperate to be seen. Desperate to be seen. But can I tell you something? It doesn't end here. It would be great. It's like, okay, Carlos, I got it. I got it. I got it. Hear the voice of God. Check. Got it. Easy. Done. Sweet. He's going to tell me to do something that I don't know what to do. Okay, that's fine. I'll follow his directions. I'll go there. Okay, now I'm at the, I'm at the, I'm at the road. I see that chariot that I really don't believe in that chariot. I've seen the bumper stickers that are on that chariot. I do not like that chariot. But I'm going to go up to the chariot. You told me to go up to the chariot. Okay, Lord, I'm going to go up to the chariot. Sweet. Check. That was hard, but that's cool. Unfortunately for all of us, that's not where the story ends. Watch this. It said... First of all, verse 29, the Spirit told Philip, go and join the chariot. So when, when Philip ran up to it, I don't want us to miss that word. He ran. When God says do something, go. He ran. He went and joined the chariot. And here it is, verse 31. After Philip asked him, what are you reading? The eunuch said, well, I don't know, how can I unless someone guides me? So he invited Philip to come up inside the chariot. 
hang on, Carlos. I can go up to the chariot. I can go up to the chariot and I can explain that to all my friends that believe what I believe. But if I get inside the chariot, how am I going to explain that? You're not. You see, when you get inside someone's chariot that doesn't look like you, think like you, vote like you, talk like you, believe like you, love like you, all those things, that doesn't mean you're turning your back on your values. Okay. Hey, can, can come here real close. The, the easiest interpretation of this, of what's happening here, that could be turned into a message, is that you should witness to, you, sh you, sh you should share the gospel with people. You should explain the scriptures to people. When they have questions about the scriptures, um, you should explain them to them. Like, you should be informed enough about the scriptures. You should be in the scriptures yourself. So that when those questions are asked to you, and I guarantee you they will be asked to you if people know you're a believer, which they should, not just because you do good things, but because you talk about Jesus a lot. Um, you should be able to answer their questions. You should witness to them. You should tell them about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is not about getting in chariots with people that you disagree with. It's not what this is about. We have read so much bias onto Philip in this situation that it's 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 giving me a headache. <laughs> it's just like, Philip, there's no indication. There's none that Philip has any ill remorse uh, toward this individual at all. It's, it's not even that he's, it, there's no indication that he's even viewed as a Gentile. Like we, there's not even that assumption made here. It is that, the spirit tells him to go. He goes. He gets invited into the chariot. What happens in the chariot? Does Philip learn from the Ethiopian eunuch or does Philip teach the Ethiopian eunuch? The Philip, the Philip, Philip teaches the Ethiopian eunuch because he asks him, do you know what you're reading? And he goes, no, I don't. I don't. How am I supposed to know unless someone explains it to me? And then we have right here. Now. The I'm sorry, uh, he invited Philip to come in and sit with him. Then we have, now the passage of scripture that was being read to him was this right here. And this is actually, the Ethiopian eunuch is reading Isaiah 53 verses 7 and 8. That's what um, this is right here. Okay, this is Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. I am so sorry for my handwriting, but there it is. Right? And then <laughs> we have Philip here in these next verses. Right, verse 35 specifically. Then Philip opened his mouth and began with this scripture. So with this one right here that he was reading, he told him the good news about Jesus Christ. This is why Philip is in, in, in the chariot. To explain to the Ethiopian eunuch who Isaiah 53, 7 and 8 are talking about. Because the Ethiopian eunuch is confused. Is it about is the prophet talking about himself, he says, or is he talking about somebody else? And Philip uses this door that God gives him by the Spirit telling him to go this way to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the whole thing. That's what he did in Samaria. That's what they've done all through Acts up to this point. That's what happens in Acts after this point. And Philip has no qualms about it. He doesn't care that he's Ethiopian. He doesn't seem to care that he's a eunuch. He doesn't care at all. He just shares the gospel with him. It means you're turning your heart towards them. That's the most important thing I want us to get from this, is we are all called to get inside the chariot. 
he could have easily, by the way, used um, Acts 10 for this if he really wanted to talk about like a division amongst people and talk about Gentiles and Jews. That would have been really easy to do. Acts 10 is really packed full of what you thought was clean uh, or what you thought was unclean is actually clean because the Lord says, and then there's this Jewish Gentile thing happening and the Gentiles get saved and the Jews' minds are just blown. Like if you wanted a radical, like, hey, go talk to the people you disagree with, that would have been the text. But he uses this text because he, he needs there to be some sort of racial overtone here. He needs there to be some sort of friction. And he, he makes Philip have friction that Philip doesn't actually have in this text, right? In order to, to supplant that. So I don't, I don't really, that's the assumption I have to draw from this. Because if he really wanted something about people divided, like he's talking about, Acts 10 is a much more substantial text to demonstrate that than Acts 8. And I know, listen, we've been conditioned the last three years to not only not go up to the chariot, but to point at the chariot and say that chariot is the enemy. Can I tell you something? The chariot is not the enemy. And Philip doesn't think that either. There is an enemy, but a human being is not it. They're a child of God that is desperate to see somebody that maybe is nothing like them come up and get in their chariot with them. I, I had such a hard time with this scripture in 2020. I'm telling you, I did not want to do any of this. But I made a decision with some of my friends I lost relationships with that I'm going to get in their chariot. And guess what? Did when I got in their chariot, did I change my mind on a lot of the values and things that I had? No. But what changed was the relationship. And suddenly there was a healing and a balm that began to happen. This is what we have to do. You don't just be human. You don't just see humans. But you have to get in the chariot to free humans. Everyone in the room and online say free humans. Free. This is the core of the gospel. The gospel is a message of freedom. But we can't free somebody with binoculars screaming across the street. The freedom won't happen. You got to go up. And then you got to get in. And that, that part is accurate. Philip does get in. Philip does explain. Philip does witness. That's the most accurate part up to this point of the connection. Any connection he's trying to make here, that is the closest. That is the impossible part. It, honestly, I know it is. As a human, it is going to be impossible to get in the chariot with your own strength. But that's why you don't have to do it with your strength. That is when you invite Holy Spirit to allow his strength to be perfect when your strength is gone. The power the power of community to free people. You know, it's one thing for, for just one of you to leave here and take this message and be like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go. I'm going to find a chariot. I'm going to go up to the chariot. I'm going to show them that they are loved, and then I'm going to get in the chariot and let them know that I see them, and I'm going to give them some freedom. It's one thing if we do that alone. But can I tell you something? When the entire church, when this entire church here in real life does this together, can I tell you what happens is revival. Revival is what happens when you all take this charge and, and ask Holy Spirit, what's the chariot I'm supposed to go up to? And Holy Spirit, give me the strength to get inside of the chariot. Revival happens when we do it as the church, as the body together. And let me give you an example of what this looks like. I've seen this happen firsthand. I, I, was, I was in the Atlanta airport a um, couple, I guess it was a year and a half ago now. And, and as I was in the Atlanta airport, I, um, I, I, was, I was on my way up the escalator, and I was hungry. So I was like, Holy Spirit, where do I go eat? And he always tells me Chick-fil-A, Christian chicken, right? So I go, and I go to Chick-fil-A. And right by Chick-fil-A, there's this gentleman, and he's playing the piano. Okay, I thought this is where this was at. So this is going to be a longer story. I'm going to let him go all the way through it because there's no point in interrupting him to this point. Again, the only question we're asking anytime stories are given, if, you know, repeat it after me, <laughs> I said at the beginning, does this add or does this take away 
from the passage? Does it actually line up with the passage and what the passage is trying to tell us? Because if I'm trying to tell you a story, if I'm trying to really open up the scriptures to you, help you understand what's happening here, the story that I tell along with it should do that. It should do that. It should help you understand better the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip's conversation. And after he gets done with telling this story, I'll do that. Let's let him go first. And this guy's just going to town. He's like playing the piano. And uh, I was like, man, that's, this guy's pouring his heart, pouring his heart out. And so I, I looked around, and every single person around him is just staring at their phone. No one's paying attention. And he had like 15 bucks in his tip jar. And I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to see him. I'm going to see him. So I, I pulled up a chair awkwardly close to him, and I just start. And this guy's like, he stops. He goes, what you doing, man? I was like, oh, I just, I just want to see you. Like, I want you to know that, like, you're amazing. He's like, what's your name? We start talking. His name's Tony. He actually suffers from kidney disease. He's on dialysis nine hours a night. He starts telling me a story. And I, and I just, I felt something. I was like, oh, I'm going to give him a little bit of freedom. I'm going I'm to free him. I'm going to give him a big tip. I had 40 bucks in my pocket. He only had 15 bucks in his tip jar. And I was like, ooh, watch this. Hey, Tony, what's the biggest tip you've ever gotten? He goes, $400. And I was like, ooh. Well, I saw him. I don't know if I can free him. But then I thought, wait a second. You know, I, I, say, I say that these things are bad, but this is just a thing. This is just a thing. It's just, it's just a piece of metal and glass. Oh, I wonder if I can use it for good. So I, I have, I have the, this, this family that I call the Insta Familia. And there's a couple of them here. They're, they're people that follow me on Instagram and that we do good together. And, and here's the beautiful thing about my Insta Familia. 250,000 people. I, I did a poll um, a month and a half ago. It was crazy. It was like 53% of the Insta Familia, when I asked, I said, do you lean left or right politically? 53% leaned right. 47% leaned left. And I literally was like, what? How are all these people hanging out together every single day? How are all these people? And so I was like, that's something I'm the most proud of of my Insta Familia. And then I said this. Okay, Tony, go back to your piano playing. I pulled out my phone with the Insta Familia, and I started live streaming Tony. And I said, hey, this guy's gotten a $400 tip. Can we give him a $405 tip? Like, I want to beat it by five bucks. Like, can we do it? And I started streaming, and I started inviting the Church of the Insta Familia together. And not one single person asked me before they donated, well, what's his view on this? Where does he stand on this? No, 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 no. People just gave, and let me show you what happened. Watch this. Play of the day, a feel-good Friday. Carlos Whitaker with a joint lunch when a piano player captured his attention, noticing there was not a lot of money in his tip bowl, even though he was playing his heart out. Well, the two started talking, and it turns out that 66-year-old Tony plays piano every day, then gets dialysis every night. So Carlos had an idea to call on his Instagram followers for some foursome tips for Tony's playing, and the money kept pouring in. Yeah. And take a look at what happened next. They just deposited $10,000. Seventy thousand strangers that love your piano playing, and I ask them to give you money. You are loved. You are loved. You are adored. And I don't know what you need to do with ten thousand dollars, but it's yours. Wow. wow. And since then, Carlos said his followers have raised more than $60,000 for Tony's Plane. And I got to say, Carlos Whitaker, you and your Instagram followers, you get the Best Humans yeah. Award for this Friday. That's an amazing story. That is a great Friday story. Beautiful. Yeah. We needed that. We needed it, sure. Coming up, everybody, Dirk Sidley. Thanks for the, uh, by the next, By the next morning, we had together given Tony a $77,000 tip. And, 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 and here's the thing. Here's the thing. Okay, real quick. So we're about, you, you hear the music? <laughs> You're, we're getting close to the end of the service. We always know when the music's playing, that means the service is about 10 because we've all been trained. Pavlov's dog, every time.
every time. So anyway, so what we have is a really feel-good story. ABC. It played on ABC. Again, this is just a representation of the fact that um, a lot of people that aren't Christians can get behind this, which is fine. Like, I'm not saying that's not a good thing. Of course, we you would hope that people would have some sort of humanity to be kind to other people and to help them out, right? So that's an awesome thing that happened. You have lots of stories like that where random strangers are helping other people. And this is this great reality that uh, that we have the capacity as humans to be very kind to one another, uh, even though we have equal capacity to be terrible. So it's just a matter of how, how are you going to use that, right? The message of Christ doesn't have to be there for you to say that. And that's where that, that, uh, the tension of a Ted talk comes into play. Right now. I don't, I don't know the rest of, I didn't see the rest of Carlos's Instagram story. So I don't know if he shared the gospel with this guy. I don't know if he shared the gospel with his neighbor. I have no clue. I'm assuming he has, right. But that's not what's in the story. So we, again, if we're connecting it to the story of the Ethiopian eunuch and these examples that he's giving, there's a distinct difference here. The real gospel that's being given to the Ethiopian eunuch is this gospel of this savior that has come to save. Now, there's a couple of things that I told you I wanted to tell, talk to you about. So let's go back over here. Now, what we talked about before is that the, the passage that we see the Ethiopian eunuch reading is Isaiah 53, uh, 7 through 8. Now, it's very likely that this is probably not the first time that the eunuch has read through this. In fact, being part of Candace's court, he likely has access to a lot of um, the, the, the writings of the Jews, right? He has access to the Torah. He has access to the writings of the prophets. It's highly likely that he does. And um, that's, I mean, he has one that he's carrying with him. Usually, you would have this only in the synagogue. So the fact that he even has a section of this that he's reading demonstrates again his the the access to things he has because of his access to Candace and the court. And so he's reading this. So it, it's it's likely, we don't know, but it's likely that he's also has read or has the ability to read Isaiah 56, 3 through 4, which we'll talk about in a minute. Now I don't have the a way to pull it up now, but if you go all the way back to, if you want to pull up in your Bibles, Deuteronomy uh, chapter uh, 23, we're going to read something that goes, uh, talks about eunuchs, right? That ties into what this is guy, this is happening or does happen to him because he's a eunuch. So Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse one, and it says this, uh, uh, the title probably in your Bible says, um, those excluded from the assembly, which means the temple, the gre the meetings together. So it says no one whose testicles who have been crushed or whose male organs have been cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Okay. So this, this Ethiopian eunuch, even though he, he seems he's coming back from worshiping in Jerusalem, um, he likely was not able to go into the assembly of the Lord and worship there. He had to do so from outside or send some sort of em emissary in to, to make an offering or something. There, I'm sure there was a, a way that he could do that, but he couldn't go in. Now, that's all we need to look at there. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 56. Because this, again, is further on in the book of Isaiah. The man is reading Isaiah 53, talking about uh, the suffering servant, the perfect Israelite. But if we go to uh, chapter 56, we have salvation for foreigners as well. Now, we're going to start. We're, the main things we're going to look at are verses 3 and 4. But let's first look at, let's read all the way through from the beginning. So it says this. 
Thus the Lord said, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness will be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of the man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it and keeps his hands from doing evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord shall surely separate me from his people and let me and not let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name and shall uh, and shall not be cut, a name that shall not be cut off. All right. So we have this Ethiopian eunuch that very likely knows the passage in Deuteronomy, at least isn't allowed into the assembly because of the passage in Deuteronomy. Um, they wouldn't have like checked underneath the cloak, right? But he is a, a eunuch of the queen. And so it would have been assumed he's not allowed into the assembly, but he has read Isaiah and he's read Isaiah 56. Likely, like, again, I don't want to read things into here that aren't here, but if he's reading Isaiah 53, he's likely has access to, and has probably read Isaiah 56. And so Philip comes up to the chariot. The man is reading Isaiah 53. The man doesn't know what he's talking, what he's reading about Isaiah uh, in, in Isaiah 53. Philip gets up and explains it to him. We've already read this here, right? Verse um, 53. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture again, that being Isaiah 53, he shares the good news about Jesus. Now, here's the second part, and this is the really amazing part, because this isn't about just you going up to chariots of people you don't like and getting in and writing relationships. That's not, not at all what this is about. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. Again, this is a desert place, so the fact that there's any water is amazing in the first place. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Now, again, I don't have time to go into it. Already a minute and 10 minute long, hour and 10 minute long video. Baptism was already a part of Judaism. It was a cleansing ritual as far as being able to go into the assembly, um, being able to go before God. It's likely, again, if Philip is telling him about the good news of Jesus, he's telling them about what's happened before, which is those that believe in Jesus are baptized and then they receive the Holy Spirit. And so either because of the Ethiopian eunuch's knowledge of baptism already for those that are Jews, or because Philip has explained baptism in the Christian sense, one or the other, he says, what prevents me, right? So again, let's lock these two together. If he has been explained who Jesus is from Isaiah 53, and he knows the promise in Isaiah 56 for the eunuchs that have remained steadfast to the Lord about um, being welcomed in one day, and, and Philip has explained to him that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that all like the one that is ushering in the kingdom of the Lord, right? This is what we have in Luke uh, chapter eight. Uh, I think it's verse one. Uh, it says that Jesus went through declaring the kingdom of the Lord, right? So the idea is that like Luke or Philip understands this is what Jesus has done. The eunuch in hearing the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ now understands this and goes, well, if that's the case, then. If, if that's what's going on, if Jesus is the Messiah and I believe in him, what prevents me then from being baptized and being brought in? I, I'm not cut off from the assembly anymore. 
if I believe in this Christ, if I believe in this Jesus that is the Messiah, what prevents me then? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, and Philip uh, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Philip baptized the eunuch. And now the eunuch goes back to Ethiopia with the gospel. And there's a huge history that, again, we can't get into. You can look it up, of the, the, the Ethiopian church. Likely coming from the Ethiopian eunuch. I think it's Eusebius in his church history actually talks specifically about Acts chapter 8 and how through this eunuch, the gospel begins to be spread with it, with, through Ethiopia. So my point is this, this, this text isn't about Philip having some racial bias or some sexual bias against the Ethiopian eunuch. And he feels like he doesn't want to go up to the chariot, but he does because he knows he has to. And we should do the same thing. Like that's not what's happening. Philip has seen the risen Lord. He has been commanded to go out making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them what he has been taught. And this is what Philip is doing. He's been transformed by Christ. So are there times, as, as, as Carlos is talking here, that we as believers um, need to really press home this point to people that maybe don't get it, that are a bit biased of, amongst people because of different backgrounds? Uh, 100%. And this text could be used to demonstrate just how drastically, especially the Samaritan text going into this text as well, even going all the way through Acts 10, right? How drastically the gospel changes people. How even Peter in Acts chapter 10 has to really work through the reality that he doesn't want to go into Cornelius' house because he's a Gentile, but he knows he has to. And he's got to work through that a little bit. Again, Acts 10 would have been a way better passage for this, but... The point is that the gospel so drastically changes us that it compels us to go out and tell others about Jesus, not just to be nice to them, not just to be kind, not just to have conversations with people we disagree with on politics or whatever you want to argue about. It's about preaching the gospel to people, explaining the scriptures to them. The early church used the prophets to do that. You want to use the prophets? Great. You want to use the gospels? Great. You want to use the New Testament? Whatever. Just tell them about Jesus. This is what's frustrating to me, at least, about the use of this passage here is that we're reading so much on top of it that it gets so buried in that that we lose the original point of the passage. That this is about Philip obeying the Spirit and God using Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch for a far greater plan than either one of them would have realized. And Philip is faithful to share the gospel. And an entire continent is transformed because of it. Like, that's amazing. And we have five minutes left in the sermon. Let's finish it. When you're who God called you to be, and, you're, and you be human, and you hear the voice of God, and then you see people. I see you. I see you. I see you. That's the easy part. But freeing somebody is going to take risk. And freeing somebody is going to take unity. And if we want to see our country free, we have to come together under the banner of the cross of Jesus Christ. That, that's what it's going to take. It is. And I, I, I'm just here because I know every single one of us in this room have the power inside of us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to come together, past opinions on things. I, I, I believe that there's very important things that I have opinions on. Very important things. But the most important thing 
is that somebody finds freedom in Christ. This is the most important thing. And if the church continues to fall apart and separate and fraction, it's never going to happen. We've got to remember how Jesus taught us to be human and come together and free people. And we can't do it alone. We can free people as the church, unify. And there's a lot of people, I hear them every day, that are wounded critically from interactions with the church. How about if real life is a church that helps be balm to the wounds of these wounded believers? I believe it can happen. But only, guess what? If we see the chariot, go up to the chariot, and get in the chariot. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. And I'm actually going to give an invitation. If there is a relationship in your life that you have been praying because you're so brokenhearted that it's over because of the last three years, and you've been waiting for them to come and fix it, my invitation is, why don't you come to the altar and ask the Lord to be the strength in you to get in their chariot? Because the only way it's going to happen is if we don't wait, but we go and we be his hands and feet. So I'm going to ask everyone in the room to, to rise to their feet. And I'm going to pray a prayer. And when I say amen, and the band comes out, when I say amen, if you want to ask Holy Spirit to reveal to you what the chariot is or to give you the strength to get in the chariot, there's going to be people up here willing to pray for you that the Lord restores these relationships. Holy Spirit, I ask right now that you continue and you begin a good work of disturbing and disrupting so many of our hearts, Lord. I know exactly who it is tomorrow I need to have lunch with. Holy Spirit, will you give us very clear and precise images of the chariots we have been avoiding, we've been mocking, we've been pointing at, and will you give us, Jesus, the strength to walk up to those chariots. Oh, and Holy Spirit, I just ask that you begin to prepare the hearts of those in those chariots. You begin to prepare those hearts to see the true love that is portrayed by those of us that get in them. Show us what the chariot is and give us the strength to get in it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for joining. Whoa, okay. That, that, that transferred really quick. Okay, so I do want to give him some props because at the very end, he does talk about, so let's hold on, let's go over here. So here are his four points. One, we're designed to hear God. I think we've uh, already talked about that one and how that's a bit of a reading into the text there. Um, you need to go to the chariot. I think, again, uh, I've already explained how that's eisegetical. Um, you need to see people, which, again, good point, but not quite what the text is actually seeming to point to. And then the last one sort of finally gets to the main gist of the text, right? Um, we need to free people in Jesus Christ, which is basically tell them about who Jesus is. Now, the only issue here is that uh, there, there's a big structure on unity here, right? Which is great, and we should have, but where, like, <laughs> unity with who and over what? That, that's the thing that's really the, the dividing thing right now, right? is what are the uh, things that you should unify around and what are the things that are worth dividing over, right? So um, inerrancy of scripture, definition, first of all, of inerrancy, and second of all, what does that mean and what does that you, you know, look like to play out? Politics and more specifically, what is supported in politics as far as uh, if we're going to talk about baby deletion, if we're going to talk about marriage and what marriage looks like, about gender and sexuality. Um, those are the big ones, right? So w where is it worth dividing over versus being unified under? Because there are people on both sides that would say they held the title of Christian um, and 
you go, okay. There's also things like politics and uh, holding polit politicians up higher than they should be or um, dividing and casting people out of church depending on who they did or did not vote for, right? Also equally traumatic and problematic and people are dividing or unifying around that. So when we're talking about unity, what we really need to talk about are what are the things worth dividing over and what are the things not worth dividing over? What are doctrinal things and what are not? I would start with the Apostles' Creed, but I would even go deeper than that because I think there's implications built into the Apostles' Creed in regards to every question that the church is dealing with right now. So that being said, let's go over the, the basic things here and kind of wrap this baby up because I know this is a longer review. One, did he read the scripture? 100%, he did read the scripture. Did he give context? No, not at all. We, I mean, there's, I think everything before here in Acts 8 is incredibly important to frame what's happening in Acts, uh, the second half of Acts. Uh, so no real context. Uh, did we give some sort of cultural background? We really didn't. There was a lot read onto it in regards to race and in regard, not so much the sexuality part, which I appreciate because some people just butcher that. But we read a lot about race onto the top of this. And so we sort of miss the context and the culture and what's going on here about the Ethiopian worshiping and what it looked like and what it didn't look like and why he was allowed or not allowed in. And then did we give the message of Jesus Christ? We did kind of at the very end, but that was really more of a message about you, um, what was it, healing people or saving people by telling them about Jesus? Um and the onus was still sort of on you. Like we didn't explain the gospel as Philip does within the text as he unpacks the, the passage, Isaiah 53. And that would have been a perfect way to sort of unpack the gospel. And so what we really get as what I said before, which is sort of a Christianized TED talk. Do I think Carlos like loves people and wants them to know Jesus? I, I, I have no reason not to believe that. But do I think he handled this passage well? No, I think everything we saw him do in this passage are things we should look for for any pastor that covers this passage. Like, are we reading things onto it? Are we accurately describing what's happening? Are we honestly, you know, kind of pulling out the realities of where this fits in the narrative of Acts or not? And if we're not doing those things, that's problematic. Because this text isn't about you going up to uh, uh, the chariot of someone you don't like and getting in and mending a friendship. It's about obeying God, him using those moments of you obeying to spread the gospel throughout and using you, or in more, more specifically, I guess, that's me reading you into it, but using Philip to preach the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch that then takes the gospel to a whole different place and spreads it there and how us being faithful can do similar things. That's what it's about. So if you guys found this helpful, make sure you leave a like. If you disagree with me, let me know below and I'll see you next week.